Hey there, it's Pastor Evan here. Welcome to Unpacked. This is a new series, Unpacking Life as a Messy Human. We're exploring the soul and the strength that comes from the journey of trying to live life authentically. We hope you find it helpful and that you can see yourself in the conversations, the stories, and the interviews. Have a listen and subscribe. Hey, welcome to Unpacked. Uh, we're excited to bring you kind of part two of a two-part series with Dr. Mono in Haiti. What do you think, Tara? Yeah, it's exciting. It's a really fun episode. He tells so many good stories about so his life. That, oh, he? yeah, he's such a good storyteller. Yeah, he is. He, in this next episode, he's going to talk a little bit about generosity and kind of how important that is and what he's learned about generosity. And seriously, this person has taught me more about generosity in my own life than any other person, I think. Mm -hmm. And uh, just one of the best ever. And if you're a Lakerger, you, you've heard me say, right, this, this quote that, you know, once you've learned to live on nothing, you can be generous with everything. Mm -hmm. And he lives that way. And it's, it is both baffling and so inspiring at the same time. Uh, to be able to be generous like this. And so it's one of my favorite things about Mono, and I'm really looking forward to sharing it with everybody. Yeah. So again, hey, I hope you uh, enjoy. And if you haven't already uh, listened to part one, you might want to jump back and listen to that first so you can hear his story kind of all the way through. Yeah, yeah, and a bit more about who he is and how he's connected to us is kind of explained at the beginning. Enjoy! So one of the things I've been asking uh, almost all the guests we've had on the podcast is, as you've lived out your calling, what, and, and I, I think we ask this because I've experienced this, every human experiences this, but we have sometimes interior words that get spoken to us that aren't helpful. In other words, sometimes that inner voice is an inner voice of discouragement. So I'm curious to know, in Dr. Mono's life, are there themes that, unfortunately, you tell yourself that you have to, you have to quiet those voices in order to continue being you and living out your calling? So, so I'll give an example, and I have already on the podcast quite a bit, but oftentimes I didn't do well in school. And so when I'm in a room full of what I would consider to be intelligent people, I often the inner voice in me often tells me, Evan, you're too, you're not smart enough to speak. Like, let the smart people talk. And I stay quiet. Now, that's not true. That is not true. But it is a theme of something that happens in my voice, in, inside of me. So I'm curious. And I'm, I'm 47 now. I've been a pastor for, I won't say, a long time. And still that voice sometimes shows up <laughs> and I have to go, that is not the voice of God. That is a different voice that I, I have to silence. So I'm curious, what are the themes in your story that you've had to silence in order to continue being you? For me, it's not voice. It's not the voice. Because for me, my biggest, I would say, discouragement is working with people. 
Okay, can you tell unpack unpack that a little bit for us? Tell us a little bit more. No, it's it's okay when you are dealing with natural disaster, but when you are dealing with disaster causing by human beings, that's what discouraging. Hmm. Or for example, someone knows what to do and didn't do it. So I can tell so many examples of, you know, that's I think that's one of the reasons I said, you know. In my next life, I would be a truck driver. Take the merchandise, unload it, that I don't have to do with people. Because it's hard to convince someone to do the things that is good for them. And most of the time, that's you become a victim of it. You look at how this story, people that wanted to change things and end up paying the, a big price for it. So that's for me the discouraging part. Yeah, I hear you. So it's like when you can see what your community, what your community leaders, even what your family, those kinds of people, what they could do, but out of fear, out of yes. whatever, they don't do it. And it continues to do harm or, or continues to contribute to harmful thinking. Yeah, so when you, and, and this is, in a small level, but as you go bigger, and it's always the same thing. As we go bigger, like by John Haiti, we have a problem of leaders causing all the kind, this kind of trouble that we have. Mm-hmm. And it's and this country is suffering. So many people are suffering because of of those kind of leaders. And many problems that we are facing in Haiti are problems that are caused by our leaders. And that's discouraging and hard. Yes. It's like you have to clean the street with plastic that someone threw out of the windows. Hmm. You've, um, you have used this in my next life. I would like to be a truck driver. And I, I can appreciate that. I know that in my own pastoral calling, there's been plenty of times when I, for me, it's not driving truck. Although, Mono, little known fact, I thought I was going to be a truck driver. Did you know that? <laughs> Actually, I, I graduated from high school and because I didn't do well in school, I actually thought the only thing I was going to be able to do would be to drive a truck. And so this is a little known fact. I have my truck driver's license still to this day. Like I could go out and get in a big rig and drive away from all this. It's not the thing when I'm in ministry that I think about doing. I, I, I realize that would be incredibly difficult and boring for me, but I, I appreciate truck drivers who do it, but for me, it's building houses it's, or building things that it's like, yeah, it would be nice to just work in my garage where I'm just by myself and I don't have to worry about the well-being of others so much as just worry about me. And I, that's what I hear you saying in that, but, but, and I have told you this, but I'll say it on here, you know, cause it's, so it's recorded. You would be miserable. You, you, you would only last a week and you would be thinking that you weren't making the impact that you know that God wants you to make in this world and in your community. And so you would be miserable. No, I have to say that, you know, every day in the clinic, it's, that's where I'm supposed to be. I'm not complaining. You know, we are talking in a general way. It's like every day I have those victories that I can celebrate. Yeah, yeah. Okay. 
one example, the other day, a kid that is five months old, and I don't think he waited like the weight of it, one month old baby came to the clinic. I have the, I have the pictures, all swollen, not his eyes is diverted, not, not making any connection. And the parents came from far away on a motorcycle, coming with a kid that is swollen to the hospital. And when I said, you know, how old is the baby? And he says, five or six months old, and the old baby is all swollen. And someone told me, this kid is not sick. It's just malnutrition. So I imagine that these parents that cannot even feed the kids find money to come to, to see the doctor. And man, I told the parents, you know, you don't have to pay anything and we're going to help you if you promise that you're going to make a better job with this kid. We're going to help you. And I called the clinic staff, we teach her how to take care of this baby. And eight days later, this kid showed up, was looking at us and smiling. Hmm. Do you know what it means? A kid that was dying because it was malnutrition. Eight days later, this kid came with his eyes wide open and made co human connections. Wow. To, you know, to live, to see this, it's a blessing. Mm -hmm. And this is the kind of things that I have in my work that we celebrate every day. And the team really like it that we call this those kind of victories and give people hope and see life shining. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What I have to admit, sometimes some position of, as a leader, it has its, its signs of loneliness. You know? It has its, its weight of stress. It's not always easy to cope with that. Yeah. So you just, you, you struck a word that I want to unpack a little bit more. One of the thing, themes that's been coming out of this podcast as I speak with other pastors, and that's been a few of our conversations, we've, we've talked about loneliness. And uh, one of the people we spoke to, you know, it, it was Rob, Pastor Rob. And, and Rob talked about loneliness as a human condition that everybody experiences. But in a way, leaders experience in kind of a, in a unique sort of a way. This is my question. I'm going to try to spin it in a positive way. How has loneliness contributed to, to you being a deeper person? In my experience of a leader, loneliness comes from making decisions. When you make a decision, you will make lots of people happy and some other people will be unhappy. That's one of the things that you will have to deal with as a leader. But it's the level of stress mm -hmm. and my conditions. And the way it expressed in my life is sleep disturbance. Sometimes I'm, I'm scared of going to bed. You're scared of this nightmare. Is you have to deal with this kind of level of stress. But thankfully right now, my life is a little bit easier. For, in my case, I even had like some skin disease because of the level of stress. I'm running a clinic in my conditions. And one million good in Haiti is a lot of money. And we manage over one million good a month at the clinic. So it gives the perception to other people that 
their resources. People are expecting more and more from you. You know, all the people that are around, and, and more people are coming around you because they want to use you. And then whenever you say no in Haiti, sometimes you might create enemies. Mm, lately, I had a, I have an administrator that take a lot of weight off my shoulder. And if you can look at here of my front, it's clean. If you look at old pictures, you would say I did dark things all over it, but now I'm clean. <laughs> yeah, so, so you're saying an administrator that's helping you at the clinic to manage some yes. of the funds has taken the stress away, which has removed some of your skin issues. <laughs> the, the, yes. uh, yeah, see, this is a doctor perspective on stress, right? To, to even be able to identify that. Yes, and like the other day, he said, I want a meeting to discuss about the clinic finances. He listen, only come to me when there is no money. <laughs> you know, like all the decisions, if there is no money, come to me and we'll see how, how to work it out. But you know, the everyday worries, things like that. I just want, I don't want to be part of it. You just want to be a doctor. Yes. But as a leader, most of the time you feel lonely because people that I want you doesn't really know what you are going through. And if you keep telling people what is going, you might look weak or you are complaining. Sometimes you have, you know, you sign it. At the end that you, I got so many kids that become a doctor at the, in the community of 500 diabetics that are still alive today because of what I'm doing. I have so many things to be proud of. And sometimes I have to accept some of the setbacks. Yeah. Um, I just have a question, if you could talk a little bit more about this. You both probably ex experienced this in some ways where Evan carries the title of pastor, you carry the title of doctor, and you're kind of alluding to this, like in every room you enter in every part of your community, you're always the doctor. How has that impacted your relationships? Is it hard to find authenticity in them? Sometimes I see it as a one-way relation. It's like, what I'm supposed to do? I'm here, my mission or my calling is to serve. Serve God, serve the people. And I'm not expecting anything in return, but when it comes back, it kind of, you know, make your heart, how, what's the word I would say it? If it's like you do something for someone and the person doesn't say thank you, it's okay. But when you see this person coming the next day with the flower to say, you know, I want to say thank you for what you did. It makes you feel great. So it's the same way it's like, for me, I see it, I'm supposed to love, I'm supposed to care. And that's how I honor my God. That's the way I see it because there's, and that's helping continue. Sometimes it's not automatic because to care for someone, you need to find a connection with this person first. But in a way, finding authenticity and then it's not, I'm not concerned about that. I don't know if I answer your question. Yeah, I think you did. I think that you did. I, I think for me, one of the challenges with that is that it's like, I, I, and you're like this too. I, I'm certain that you're like this. You have a personality that draws people towards you. 
And so as people are drawn towards you, whether it's because you're mono or because you're doctor, I, it, the line gets gray. It, it's hard to know. Are these people wanting to be my friend because they appreciate who I am? Or is this really about the position that I hold and they think they might need me someday <laughs> to get them the medicine they need or take care of their family? And, and so I think that one of the things that contributes to a leader's loneliness is that we have stories, negative stories, to be honest, in our, in our past that lead us to believe that that is always true. And it isn't always true. And so, so for me, I find myself oftentimes being skeptical of people who are being too friendly, honestly, with me. Yes. <laughs> and I, and I want to hold them back. I, I want to keep them back. And, and I think that that gets very confusing for me personally to know how to discern that, how to separate out my occupation from who I am actually as Evan, right? And, and, and then it contributes to loneliness. Then I find myself lonely and I go, nobody knows me. And, and a part of the reason is because I haven't actually allowed them in to get to know me. Like I'm actually responsible for that. Yeah, and one of the ways that I try so I try, just, I try not to give too much time to a certain number of people or my attention. For example, as the doctor was who I am. It's hard, but for me, that's one of the way I try to deal with that is to make sure that my amount of time, attention are well, not well divided, but is, is spread right enough so that I can cover as many people for not one person you know, to be the center of my attention because this person is is trying to get my attention for what, what whatever reason it is. Mm -hmm. I have a question for you about, um, like, it, it comes out of your story. So, and we've kind of alluded to it. You have some key people who have really invested in you uh, when you were a young leader and have continued to invest in you. And you, you've mentioned Kathy's name. I know that Kathy's Kathy's mother was a huge part of that for you, um, Dr. Caso. You have some. You have some individuals who invested in you, Dr. Steve. Dr. Steve. Okay. Yeah. One of one of the things that, that Dr. Steve told me that is really important for me in my life. Manu, choose your fight. We I have people that do things that we disagree with, but are we going to fight with this person for this, or are we going to fight for? for bigger things if we win, that will make a change. That's what he was telling me. That's awesome. And that, that is great advice. You have uh, several young leaders who you have invested in, in your community. Well, some of them are, are hopefully being encouraged towards medicine and towards being doctors. Some are fish farmers and are investing in their community in those ways. Others run food programs and all of these kind of things in, in partnership with kind of our family of churches up here in Canada. So can you tell me, what does it, what does it mean for you to continue to invest in the young leaders in your community, specifically, you know, like Jeff, who runs our, our aquaculture stuff? And what does that mean for you? And how important is that to you in your life? I, I'm just trying, because I have every responsibility with Kathy's mom. I'm who I am today because she believes in me. When nobody believes in me, 
So I try to identify people that I can invest in what is good in them and to multiply what is, you know, the work. Jeff is a, is a good example of this. One day he approached me and said, you know, I'm learning how to speak English. I would like you to give him an opportunity. And I see him as a leader and I'm not, you know, I'm so proud that, you know, I gave him that opportunity and every day he's learning and he's, he's a leader now. Mm-hmm. And we have, I have so many other examples of, of other people like when I see some young doctors and I tell them, said, I would like you to get the doctor. Could you come and work with me? And those people are serving other people in other ways. Because what I use to tell for, I have one, a message for every kind of people that come to work with me. Like I would urge a doctor to be good and share everything, everything I know with them. And when they ask me, Mano, you know, and Haiti, most people, they don't share knowledge because knowledge is power. Because people, you will see, it would be hard to find doctors that will teach you everything that they know because they say they will go out of business. Share your patients. Yeah. Yes. But I used to tell them that, you know, I want every doctor to be good. So I don't know where I'm going to have to be one day in an accident or lose conscious. And you, and you might be the, my doctor at this, at this moment. So I want you to be good. So if, if one day I end up in your hands, I know that, you know, I will be in good hands. I'm trying to do this not because, because I'm selfish anyway, because I do it for me. And, and I used to, when I, people like Jeff, I said, you know, if Haiti can be a better country, I would be happy to live in that country. So I need people like Jeff, like other people that are doing the good things to change life, to make this country a better place where I don't have to think about, you know, moving to other country to enjoy life. And it's, and I, and they find out that when you give, you receive more. Yeah. I find it interesting. You know, one of the, one of the values at Lake Ridge, but one of the values that we talk about often is generosity. Now I, I think I've told you this, but if I haven't, it's kind of confession time. When I was planting Lake Ridge a decade ago, and we were talking about what are the words, what are the values that we want to, we want to exemplify as a community. Generosity was one of them. And I think that it was one of them that was on the forefront of my mind and my heart at the time because of what you've taught me about generosity. Now, in a way, you just talked about it. You, you did just say, actually, one way live generously is by sharing information, knowledge, by sharing with young doctors and others the things that you have learned, when actually that's not always something that, that your community would would celebrate or would naturally do because the more you share you lose power and in fact i've i have quoted you our we have quoted you so many times uh this quote because i remember um you you are ridiculously generous with your vehicles and and it's always irritated me uh because because haiti is a rough place on vehicles if if you think haiti is hard on people it's very hard on cars and trucks as well. (laughs) And um, I remember this was years and years ago. Uh, I was in Haiti. Your vehicle was broken again. You had borrowed it to somebody again, and they had given it back to you broken. And I remember being frustrated with you 
telling you, you need to stop sharing because people weren't being good to your car. And you said, Evan, I have learned that I can live on nothing, which means I can be generous with everything. You, you stopped me in my tracks. It, it, for me, it was one of those moments, you know, where, where, where you hear, Mono, you can be a part of this problem or you can be a part of the solution, this like turning point moment in your life. For me, that day on those stairs was a turning point in my life. And what I believe to be true about generosity. And, and I don't think it was the quote that, that was the most powerful about it. I think it was, it was you that was saying it. And I know your story. And so tell me, what does generosity mean? Like, tell, tell us a little bit more about how you've come to understand generosity. Okay, it's, it, it got different levels of it. Because I used to tell people, take God out of the Bible. Just follow those principles. You don't have to believe in God. There are some life principles in the Bible. Just follow them and you will see. You know, this expression, give and you will receive. You give what you have, you will receive what you need. And sometimes you don't even know what you need. And the second part of it is to like your relationship with what you have. I see people killing other people because of someone, they were driving the car in a small accident and they were shooting because of, of a vehicle that got a door smash and you take someone's life for that. And I see, we have so many examples in that that you can show that, you know, what is your relationship with what you have? And sometimes I got blessed by the people that I never thought of. I cannot ask people to do things when you don't have a story or you didn't live it. So if you, if you, didn't, if you, don't, if you didn't experience love, I cannot ask you to give love. Hmm. So if you wasn't blessed by someone else it would be hard for you to bless other people but in my experience i was you know i had a chance to know people that it kind of way make me who i am today and i for me it's important whenever wherever we have a chance to meet other person is to show some kindness and if you love that feeling that you experience of being treated kindly you would like when you meet someone, if you want to make someone, uh, I would say, enjoy that same experience so you know what to do. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Thank, thanks so much for sharing a little bit about that. Hey, I, um, I'm curious, what's the funniest thing that's happened to you in the last little while at the clinic? It was, it started with, with Katie and Kevin coming. And they were bringing tons of glucometers. And I was storing them. And in one trip, they brought tons again. And I was kind of uncomfortable not to open the, to let them see where I put them. Because the last one they brought was still there. <laughs> <laughs> so you're hiding, you're hiding gluco, glucose meters. Glucometers. Yeah, yeah. And I couldn't, you know, because they would say, they would have a bad impression. So why did I have to spend that money buying new glucometers when he had all this and storage? He's not using them. <laughs> yeah. And then, boom, the 
People cannot go out. People are afraid of going to hospitals. They're going to catch the virus. Beam, we're in trouble. And guess what? All the very, very sick ones that were coming to the clinic just to be tested, they would, you know, two hours in the back of the motorcycle. And every single patient received a glucometer and they were able to test themselves at home and call me for consultation. And I would say, okay, now you need to do those changes. So they would only send the younger kids to the clinic to for refill. But those vulnerable patients didn't have to leave home. And I just laughed. Yeah. I just I was ready. Can you imagine that? <laughs> Storing all those all those things up worked. No, I just you know, for I was getting ready for something I didn't know. They test themselves and they call me in the morning, say, Doctor, I tested myself and my blood sugar is this. You know, what do you think? And I would so they don't have to come to the clinic that often. And it saves money. Because for those people to come to the clinics, some of them it costs them five or ten dollars US to come and to to be told you are okay, continue with your treatment. Now they don't have to come for this. They only come when they for refill, they can send someone, or if if they need, if they have the need. So those are the things when you look them, look back and you just laugh and say, you know, now it makes sense. <laughs> It makes sense. That's awesome. Okay. I have a, a funny, another funny question for you though. Um, you and Evan have been friends a long time and you've known each other a long time and you're both really similar. What are some, is there a funny story or a story that stands out? He's going to love that I'm asking you this, that stands out about him that you want to share with us or the two of you together? <laughs> the story of me together, one day, that's the story. When I, every time I hear that story, I got this kind of, I would call you, I'm happy and got so scared. It just, and I'm happy it was Evan. One day I was at Evan's house and then I had to go to the bathroom and there was no light. In my mind, there is no light. So I go to the bathroom. So as I was coming back from the bathroom, I ended up in Evan's daughter's room. And thanks God, there was a dog that started to bark, so I didn't have to start touching. Because as I was getting in the room, I would start touching to see where the bed is. Imagine if this, if there was no dog in this room, I would be in such a problem. <laughs> <laughs> so every time I remember that story, I bless this dog. <laughs> I do remember that. <laughs> and then Evan can, by magic, turn on the lights. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is what our leader, our listeners won't realize is that it's like in Haiti, you don't have lights at night. It's not like you just flip the switch on, right? And so it's like, so it didn't dawn on you that you were in Canada and that you could actually turn the lights on. And I actually do remember that night and, and our little dog who was like a chihuahua cross with somebody's a tiny little dog was at Caroline's bed, just losing his mind. And he had you backed into a corner. You were defending the territory. <laughs> and there I was sitting, I didn't know where to go. <laughs> it's just, I know I'm in the wrong place, but where to turn? <laughs> <laughs> I think that is one of my favorite, my favorite stories about you coming to Canada. And, and we've had, um, 
we laugh a lot. And um, I, I think for me, one of the things I remember, one of the, my favorite stories, and I, I have actually told it, was uh, actually wasn't even that long ago on one of my trips to Haiti. Um, we had had a hard thing kind of happen. You, we had taken a young guy, a little, a young boy into town uh, so that he could actually go to another clinic and get cared for. And I've shared this story on the podcast. So I'm not going to do that. I think I have shared this story on the podcast. No, no. <laughs> okay. I'll share the story on the podcast. Then you remember uh, the last time Kevin and I and uh, Randy were there and you had a young, young boy uh, that was having some diabetic issues and we decided to take him to town and send him to another clinic, him and his mother. And he was very afraid, very afraid. And I remember um, I was in the front seat, Kevin, Randy, the mom and the little boy were in the back seat and um, we got into Cape and you had arranged for him, him and his mom to get in a tap tap which is basically a small Toyota with way too many people in it uh, and ride off to the next clinic. And I remember, this is not a funny story, but I'll share it anyways. I remember just having my heart broken as I saw this scared little guy get in this, into this tap tap to head to another place, to another clinic. And um, as he drove away and we drove away, my heart was broken. It was just broken. And uh, I cried. And it was an interesting experience because you, you being the doctor started telling me all the things that you were doing to take care of this boy. So I didn't need to cry. You know, Randy in the back, who's like, he's telling me the scientific reason of why I am associating this little boy with my little boy here, Otto. And that's why I'm upset. Kevin, has just been a friend for so long that he was fine just to let me cry. And then, and then I got arrested. <laughs> I, I, do re I do remember you saying, okay, you guys pull out your passport. And this is what's funny is I've, I have led trips to Haiti since 2002. I don't even know how many times I have been there and told people, oh, bring your passport, you know, just in case we get pulled over and somebody needs your ID. And Randy and Kevin pull out their passports and hand them to you. And I'm sitting there going, oh, dang, I, I don't have my passport. And they take me and I end up in this little Haitian cell. And uh, and the, all the Haitians in there thought it was hilarious. It was, this blonde, this white guy, it was me. It was me. <laughs> and and it was nerve wracking. I most definitely was nervous because I really didn't know exactly what was happening or what was going to happen to me. And I could hear you outside talking to the the police officer, and um, kind of going back and forth with them, back and forth. And I could tell I I I don't know Creole, but I I can listen to tone and all those kind of things. And I could tell you were losing. <laughs> You were definitely not winning the argument <laughs> to try to get. No, you wanted money, and I wasn't. I wasn't gonna pay. <laughs> I mean, what? I didn't know that. So you're saying I wasn't worth paying for? In, I didn't like the way. You know, he was. He wanted to get to his purpose. <laughs> he needed money. He should have said, "Hey, you know, give me something." I don't have any problem with that. But when I didn't like the way he was 
he wasn't supposed to arrest you because you have your passport. But he was like abusing his power in a way to, to negotiate, to give him money. Okay, so, so that day, you decided to change Haitian culture and teach this guy <laughs> a lesson while I sat in prison. <laughs> I'm not sure I like the way this story is going anymore. I, I, I definitely think it was a funny story before. I'm not sure I really like this very much. You're just going to leave me in there while you teach this guy how, how it's going to work. He was rationalizing with me because... He was in a position for not asking money, but he wanted me to be the one protecting his back. And I said, I'm not going to play that game with him. So he was rationalizing and I would, you know. Oh man, this story is taking on just a whole different, uh, a whole different feel for me. But I, I, it actually maybe is even funnier that you decided <laughs> to teach this guy how it was going to work while I sat there freaking out in the jail cell. Anyways. I know you were safe. It, actually, you know what? It is funny because I, I actually did feel safe and I, I, I wasn't overly concerned, honestly, that something really bad was going to happen to me. And, and I did actually believe that eventually you would use your negotiating skills and I would, be, and I would get out. So that just says something about my trust in you and, and probably a, a few other stories that you've gotten me out of. In there was evidence that eventually you were going to figure it out and get me out. And you did. I think you convinced them that to go and get the passport and bring it all the way back was to was to harm some of the places we were going to visit or something. Yeah, because I told them, you know, I was ready to go the hard way. Okay, you want the passport? I don't have any problem. I'm going to send someone to, all the way to Lembe one hour. It's going to take two hours and you'll have the passport. If that is the passport that you want, then when he finds out that I was ready to go all the way to send them for the passport, you give up. And I, I think that day, and maybe this leads really well into my last question for you, is like that day, we really didn't have time to, to spend time in jail and, uh, because we were checking in on some of the projects that we were, that we sponsor, that we support in Haiti. And that's kind of how I want to wrap up today is I'd like you to tell us just a little bit about some of, some of the different projects that, that the ECCC supports and just if you could give us like a, so one of the projects we do is in Petit Ons, which is kind of a small, yeah, feeding program. So it's a small suburb kind of, that's the Canadian way of describing it. It's a small uh, village on the skirts of one of the larger cities in Haiti, Cape Haitian. And we run a food program there where we're feeding 135 kids still. Is it about that? Where are we at? Sometimes 150. It depends on of the seasons, you know, the kids that are around. How is, um, I haven't been able to be there in like a year and a half, a little bit longer than that. Um, my, one of my trips was canceled to Haiti because of COVID and last March, and it was really terrifying, right? And so tell me, um, how how are they doing in Petit Ans? Well, they, they, they're doing okay. The, mo- the most important thing is for the kids to be fed. They are feeding those kids with love. When you go there, you may not, from a Western side of view, you may not appreciate the way it is done. But from my view, it's acceptable. You've described uh, Petit Ans as one of the poorest of poor places in Haiti. And I, I've been to several countries in the world, and I most definitely w- would attest that my first visit there was heartbreaking to see the conditions that, that, the, that families are living in. What does it mean that a food program is happening there for the 150 kids that do get food? And it's food twice a week, 
uh, just to be clear, I get twice a week. What does that mean? Like, is it just about food? No, first, it's it's a miracle that the food uh, the feeding continues because we have so many guys there with guns and that could just steal the rice every time it comes. And we only lost two bags of rice so far this year. So first, it's a miracle. And I don't know if you have, you don't have this, and place like this where police are not invited. So it's a lawless area. So it it's hard to do good things there when it comes to feeding because everybody is hungry. And we, you got so, some people with guns that would steal the rice and sell it and make money out of it. So it's, it's a blessing and it's a miracle that we're able to do this there. So it means for these kids, at least to get enough protein to get by. And hopefully they can go to church, to school, and every future. For many people, it's feeding 150 kids two times a week doesn't mean too much. But at least two times a week, they find a balanced meal. So uh, so petite aunts being one of the things. Another one is obviously the clinic. You, you, you specialize at Sante 2000 in primarily in diabetic care, but you do see other patients. You've had a renovation in your building, which, which is pretty awesome. Can you, can you tell us just how, how are things at the clinic? How's Dr. Judley? And make sure you say hi to him for me, but how, how is your staff doing and, and all of your folks this, this past year? We are doing way much better than we expected. So we have been hit badly by the pandemics because we try we have uh, we try to invite people that can pay to come to the clinic. So to be able to do that, the clinic need to be uh, very comfortable and attractive to people and in good care. So we managed to do that, and this has allowed us to have more money coming in. And now we have widened our services, mostly I would say to all the chronic illness. So all the people with the chronic illness can come to the clinic with or without money, they will be taken care of. So we're talking about diabetes, hypertension, heart failure, asthma, epileptic, those and sickle cell patients. So those patients, they have special attention at the clinic because those people, we don't want them to be a burden for their family. And and a punishment to you. Some of them, you know, as we were saying, that once you get, when you get chronic illness, they see you as a punishment and a different way to their family. But we wanted to take this burden out of the family. So sometimes people that can pay, they don't come. But whenever we enjoy some good time where there's not, not many violence on the streets, we are able to attract people that can pay in this way it helps cover our expenses. And then we have what we call it an admission room. We can, we, it can take like two or three patients that will stay overnight or two days. So now we are a small hospital. Great. The, um, the Sarepta program, how is, that, how is that going? Are they still feeding folks in the mornings on Sundays and giving? Yes. My, my mom is no longer involved with, because of her Memory, memory issue. It's not my Mac that is fully in charge. You know her. Yes. Oh yeah, we know her. Yeah. And 
so it's still still approximately 100, 100 and some odd senior citizens and handicapped folks from your community being fed, or is that? It's like anytime on Monday, everybody's welcome before they go to church for a free meal. And then once a month, they receive a package of different things that they need. And at the end of the year, they have a big party for them and they will all receive a portion of meat that is important for Haitian to eat, uh, to have meat on the last day of the year or the first day of the year. So they have all this is covered. Yeah, awesome. That's so great to hear. Hey, Mono, we, we have taken up a ton of your time, so we, we need to let you go. But um, I miss you, man. As soon as it's safe to come, I'm coming. We, we, we want to see you guys. We miss you, and, and we think about you a lot. We really do. So, yeah. Anything else you want to you want to add in terms of wrapping up this conversation? I just there's no way to express my gratitude toward those people that make it possible for me, you know, to do what I'm doing. It's it's not me. It, it, I have a whole bunch of team, you know, working together. We have people in Minnesota. We have the Canadian. It's they all. I contributed one way or another to make what we are doing, how we are affecting the lives of so many people. And especially in a time of like, like this, when most people are worried about you know, themselves and you have people that still care about you know, what's going on and, and show some sensitivity for other people. And it's kind of you know, to go beyond what what is expected mm-hmm. because I know people people are sharing what this the little that they have right now and they still find room to care for other people and and we really appreciate the attention and the help of other people toward us and it's every day is a miracle and thanks for giving to support you to other people to, to experience life it's always a joy for us. And I, I don't think it's just about what we give to you. I think it is really what you give to us. And, and I think you've shared a great deal of, of your gifts with us today. So I'm, I'm so grateful for that. And I love you, man. And I, I hope to see you again real soon. Okay. Take care and say hi to everybody. Okay. Thanks. Bye.